Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we're joined by Kennedy School senior lecturer, Hannah Riley Bowles, whose research is focused on gender and negotiation. Hannah, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So your research is somewhat provocative in that instead of asking women to lean in and be as aggressive as men in negotiating for higher pay, women need to take a more nuanced approach. Can you explain that whole concept? Well, um, our research is actually um, profiled in in Sheryl Sandberg's lean in. I mean, I think she would think negotiation is really part of the lean in strategy. So I wouldn't... um, I wouldn't want to be uh, sending a message that women shouldn't lean in, um, but uh, but I'm happy to say it is. I agree with you. It's a little more complicated. I think, particularly around negotiating for things for yourself, um, a lot of women feel a sense of kind of nervousness or reticence, um, maybe even icky feeling. Um, and um, what's in, what I've tried to one of the things that I've tried to show in my research is that actually that feeling isn't about uh, some sort of lack of competence or self confidence or something. It's actually um, uh, it's, it reflects an accurate reading of the social situation. So what we've shown in research is that when a man and a woman attempt to assertively negotiate for pay, both of them seem uh, less likable as compared to if they didn't negotiate for pay, um, a little mm-hmm. more demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but for women in particular, people feel disinclined to work with the same woman um, if they seen her negotiate as compared to um, if they just see her on a video in which she declines an opportunity to negotiate. And so we call that a kind of social cost of negotiation. And what we found in numerous studies is that women pay a higher social cost from negotiating assertively for compensation than do men. And if you're heading into a negotiation, you have to think about not only what you can get out of the negotiation, but also what are the social implications. Um, and if women have to weigh you know, a greater social cost against what they could get out of the negotiation, then it's actually quite reasonable for them to have some reticence, some hesitance heading into a compensation negotiation, and more so than men. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this is a pretty unfair situation. Is that something that is kind of based on societal norms and can thus be changed? Or is that something that we're just kind of stuck with? Well, I think I think they're based on societal norms, and they are traditional norms. I think they will change. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the reason I think we're we're are we're still in in a period of transition of women into the you know highest echelons of leadership in the public and private sectors. Um, you know, of women being the top paid uh, employees, women occupying occupying the highest. Um, paid uh, occupation. So to some extent, it ha- does have to do with this sort of traditional, um, you know, d- division of labor, this, this, this kind of traditional expectation that men tend to be in the leadership positions, the highest positions of authority, mm-hmm. and the highest paying jobs. So um, what a lot of my research more recently has been focused on how women can do this so that they don't get that nervous feeling and they can go in and, and um, get what they want and make the impression that they want. And I, and I think that, is, that as women do that, I think this, uh, you know, over time, I think this effect will go away because we'll, we'll have greater expectation to see women in those top positions and see women in, in the highest paid positions. So what are some of those uh, recommendations that you've come up with? Well, one of them, and going back to Cheryl's book, so what Cheryl Cheryl has taken our research, and she calls it um, she, uh, she calls it a think I, talk we strategy. Um, academically, we call it relational accounts, but I think think I talk we is catchier and um, is easier for people to hold in their heads. Okay. Um, but the essence of it is that you know you walk into a negotiation, don't 
she, but I think I, I think what she's saying is don't give up on what you want. You need to have very kind of clear, ex, you know, clear aspirations, do your research, figure out what you really want going to the negotiation. But when you walk into the negotiation, you want to frame what you have to say in we terms, not just I terms. And mm-hmm. what we've found in our research is that um, women can both get what they want and make the impression that they want if they do two things. And one is to explain to the person you know that they're that they're negotiating with why what they're why they're negotiating why what they're asking for should be legitimate in their eyes mm-hmm. not the per, not your own eyes right because right. you have a lot of reasons why you think what you're asking for is legitimate what you need to think about is why it should it should be legitimate in their eyes and then you also want to signal that you are thinking about organizational relationships that you are thinking in we terms you know mm-hmm. you're thinking of um you you want to you want to build the relationship and that irks some people because they think, oh, you're asking women to fulfill the, the feminine stereotype. And I'm I'm sympathetic with that critique. But I frankly think most of us do want to maintain relationships and organizations. And mm-hmm. it's not inauthentic for most of us to signal that. Cheryl's got this great example in her book where she talks about negotiating compensation when she was um, uh, had been offered the position of COO of Facebook. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, a lot of women described, she had this kind of nervous feeling. She didn't want to negotiate. She thought she was going to queer the deal. And as she describes, I think it was her brother-in-law told her, no, you cannot not negotiate this. You know, a guy would never let this pass. Mm-hmm. And so she walked in and she did something really clever. She went in she told, she said to them, you've hired me to uh, head your deal teams, right? So you mm-hmm. want me to be a good negotiator, right? right. That's, that, that's that legitimate part. In your right. eyes, you should think this is a good thing if I'm prone to negotiation. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to say, and this is the last time you and I are going to be seated across the table from one another. And so signaling that kind of we voice. Mm-hmm. And what was fun when I uh, connected with Cheryl around her book and she wanted to talk about negotiation was that what she was advising was very consistent with what we were finding in our research in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really nice uh, example where kind of practice, you know, the best intuition around practice comes together with um, with the research findings. Now, it seems like a lot of this uh, negotiation takes place around pay, but is it uh, applicable in other ways in, in terms of women's work lives and, you know, negotiating for, uh, you know, project management and, and all of these things? I'm so glad you asked that. I actually think, frankly, that we overemphasize pay. I think particularly in this, you know, Great Recession, post-Great Recession period, you know, a lot of employers really actually can't, you know, pay more. And there are people who are accepting jobs for, you know, by necessity, for less money than they've been making in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, probably as important to your long-term earnings as um, a little bit more money at organizational entry or certain promotion points is that you'd be really smart about negotiating your career, Um, particularly if you're going in um, to a position, this happens to a lot of us in the public sector, particularly if you're going into a job where you're, you're not getting the pay that you might ideally want. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great opportunity to be negotiating for the types of experiences, the positions, the learning and growth opportunities, the exposure opportunities that you would like to see in order to get yourself in that next position. Right. Um, where you want, you know, where you want to take your career. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, I think that this strategy, I mean, I think this is one, it's good negotiating advice in general to take on the other side's perspective right. and to think about the relationship as well as whatever you're going to get out of the negotiation. That's good mm-hmm. advice for men as well as women. Uh, I think the bonus maybe of our research is that we're showing that it's, that it may be even more beneficial to women 
um, than men in the sense that it, it helps women overcome this, what we call the women's compensation negotiation dilemma that, mm-hmm. that you know, how do I trade off what, what cost I could incur socially against what I could gain. But I think the strategy is a great one to use generally, and I really think it is important that people think for their long-term earnings and for their careers um, much more broadly about their negotiating. If I may, I could tell you the results of a recent survey that we did at uh, the Simmons Women's Leadership Conference, and we uh, surveyed participants about a recent career-related negotiation. So about 80% of the people who completed the survey had an example that they could immediately provide mm-hmm. uh, in the survey, and 45% of those negotiations were actually ongoing. So I think that gives us a sense of this is women certainly yeah. negotiate in the workplace. Right. And we gave them a list of 20 different things that you might negotiate over, uh, opportunities as well as barriers in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And the top examples, top four or five things that women reported negotiating for were, did not, were not about compensation. They were about new leadership positions, uh, promotions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, changing one's kind of work assignment to or expanding one's authority. Right. I mean, that's really what um, these senior executives were talking about, that they were focused on negotiating. Now, interestingly, they were also talking about negotiating those, um, you know, pinches in the workplace, mm-hmm. feeling like you're being overlooked or right. not sufficiently appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so there's a lot of things that I think you can negotiate. In, and, and I think I, I'd like women to feel like that's it's you know it's not the case that women don't ask mm-hmm. you know there is there is definitely a gender gap in the propensity to ask around compensation mm-hmm. but women are great negotiators they're fabulous negotiators on behalf of others they can mm-hmm. take that talent and apply it to themselves and not just think about money but a much broader array of things so i'm curious about the research that kind of led you to these conclusions how how are you actually getting at this information so um most most of the research that I have done has been in the lab. Mm-hmm. So as an example to show you how we found this, documented this women's compensation negotiation dilemma, mm-hmm. we um, did studies. Sometimes they were just pen and paper. You'd see uh, the resume of a candidate with a gender-neutral name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you'd get interview notes about whether indicating that the person was a he or a she and whether or not they had negotiated. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our first study that we did. In subsequent studies, what we started doing was hiring actors, professional actors, mm-hmm. to come in. And in the no negotiation condition, they would speak for a couple of minutes, um, asking, answering an interviewer's questions about their background. They were just about to be placed into a new management position. Mm-hmm. And then in the negotiation condition, participants would see exactly that same two minutes minutes. But at the end of the two minutes, the interviewer says, you know, have you received your salary and benefits package? Now, mm-hmm. in the no negotiation condition, the employee simply says, uh, yes, I have. Everything looks great. I'm geographically, I'm unconstrained mm-hmm. or something like that. Sure. In the negotiation condition, the employee says, um, everything looks great. Geographically, I'm unconstrained. But I do have some questions about the salary and bonus. And then they go on to attempt to negotiate. Mm -hmm. And so what participants see is either a man or a woman, and we have multiple female and multiple male actors. They see either a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. And then they see that person either negotiate or not. And then we kind of compare the impressions that are created by the women who negotiate as compared to the women who don't. It's always the same actors. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And the men who negotiate and the men who don't. Now. Men can overdo this, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But we tend to find a bigger uh, social cost for women 
for negotiating assertively than men. In the subsequent studies around strategies where we came up with the relational accounts or the think I, talk we, mm-hmm. um, we had actors who attempted to negotiate using different types of negotiating strategies. And then we looked at um, the impressions that they created and then the effectiveness of those strategies in terms of people's you know, propensity to give them what they asked for mm-hmm. and their inclination to work with them. So I also want to get into a little bit of the policy implications of this. I mean, just recently, the White House uh, put out an executive order which allowed federal contractor or banned federal contractors from retaliating against employees who discuss pay or um, you know, and opened up more information about what what people are being paid. These kinds of things. Um, it's been kind of heralded as as a move to uh, try and decrease the gender wage gap. Uh, but it does sound like a kind of a small incremental measure. Is it something that is valuable? Is it something that's you know worth worth doing? Yeah. Oh, definitely. In fact, there's there's a really good research basis for that. So in in studies that are both archival, for instance, we've looked at the outcomes of um, uh, MBA salary outcomes coming on the job market, and we've also looked. Um, and experimental studies where people will come in and negotiate against one another. What we've found is that gender effects, uh, stereotypic gender effects, where um, you know men will uh, claim more value, get more money from the negotiation than women, mm-hmm. are more likely to occur um, when there's ambiguity about um, what is up for negotiation. When men and women have the same information mm-hmm. about um, what's negotiable, you tend to see the gender effects go away. And it's really interesting. Um, it's not only ambiguity about um, what the standards are for negotiation, so what constitutes a good salary or a mm-hmm. fair salary or certain types of opportunities, but um, it also relates to what are the norms for how one negotiates around here. Um, and so when it's ambiguous whether, you know, how do you negotiate or whether one should negotiate, you tend to see gender differences in reticence about negotiating. Mm-hmm. But if you make it clear, um, to, and this is actually uh, research by colleagues of mine, that if you make it clear, for instance, to MBA students what the norms are in terms of negotiating salary at a particular company that they where they've been given an offer, mm-hmm. then the gender effects go away altogether. Wow. Ambiguity matters because it's in ambiguity that we, we, we're not sure how to enact the situation. And mm-hmm. so we search the environment for cues as to you know what to do. What, what sure. is the right standard? How should I comport myself? Mm-hmm. And so as we search the environment, our own mental schema, our own memories, gender has more of an opportunity to influence our expectations. We're all aware of these stereotypes. Um, and so we, they have more, we're more likely to think, well, how, how should I, for instance, as a woman behave in here, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rather than just as an MBA or a person? Right. Or another really interesting research around um, uh, related to this issue of um, uh, transparency with regard to standards. Let me, if can I deviate and tell you a quick sure, study? Go, okay, go for great. It. So there's this one, research by this woman, Brenda Major, who found she she found what's called the entitlement effect. Mm-hmm. And I always tell this as a story about being wary about how gender can influence your information search, um, as well as just what happens at the negotiating table. And what mm-hmm. she found was that men, women have lower, you know, long-term pay expectations than do men. And then they ran these studies, and they found in these studies they brought men and women to the lab to do some gender-neutral task, and they found that women worked longer and harder than men for equivalent pay and paid themselves less for equivalent labor. Huh, Huh, exactly. And so then they said, well, 
let's give them some information with regard to what other people pay themselves. Mm -hmm. Once, let's go back again, just like with my studies, once you gave them clear information, both men and women paid themselves the same on average. However, they said, okay, instead of just giving you the information, you can look up what other people paid themselves. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was the female participants looked at what Ellen, Jane, and Sally had paid themselves. And the male participants looked at what Joe, Mark, and Ed had paid themselves. And so if it's ambiguous what you should be asking for, and women tend to consult women, and men tend to consult men, and men are on average paid more than women, right. they're going to come up with different numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's not discrimination, but it's um, it's just, you know, it's just the way the it's how the search for information itself can be gendered. So what's terrific, I think, about enhancing transparency is that you don't need to do away with stereotypes or change the whole structure of society. It's just simply by giving people better information, you can um, undo uh, better information, non-gendered information, Mm -hmm. just clear the best information. Everybody's got the same information. You can do away with these gender effects. And what kind of information gets rid of that ambiguity? Are you just talking about pay scales? Are you just talking about salaries? Or is there other stuff? Well, there's an example. I mean, information on, I remember talking to a graduate student some years ago who was negotiating a postdoctoral position and she was uh, negotiating the job and she just happened to get a flyer that said that postdocs can negotiate for summer salary. And if she hadn't received the flyer, she never would have asked for summer salary, which is actually a mm-hmm. big, which yeah, is, that's, you know, that's, that's three huge. months yeah. of your pay, you know, right. out of the year. So she ended up just by virtue of having seen the flyer, asked, you know, ended mm-hmm. up, in, you know, increasing her compensation by, you know, a third or a quarter or something like that. So, I mean, I I think it is, it's about, you know, training opportunities. It's about pay. It's about, you know, I think you could even think more broadly about career tracks. Mm -hmm. It doesn't also have to always be, so pay and things like that is information that you can kind of make public. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that they were going to say that, you know, you can't penalize employees for sharing information about their pay. Mm -hmm. That seems like also an important um, step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But I've also talked to chief talent officers and HR people who've said, you know, geez, I could provide some of that information to people. If you, Mm -hmm. if they went to me, I'm not going to tell them exactly what everybody makes, but I can tell them what the appropriate range is. I can tell them what other people have negotiated. Mm -hmm. So that's another important thing to think about, even if the information you need isn't publicly available, Mm -hmm. um, that you find some people who can, um, you know, help provide you with some of that background about what are the appropriate standards, what's up for negotiation. That reduces the ambiguity. That um, reduces the potential for um, gendered uh, gender differential outcomes in negotiation. So if women are able to take anything away from this episode, this interview, uh, think I, talk we, is there anything else that you would add to that? Yeah, I would. I think think I, talk we, mm-hmm. um, but also I mean, what I've been increasingly building from the lab studies and the archival studies are interviews with executives about how they negotiate their careers. Mm-hmm. And I would um, love for women to walk away with this with a broad imagination of what they might negotiate. I mean, think really widely about, you know, how do you think about negotiating your career? And also, as you do that, and as you talk to your employer, again, it's taking on your employer's perspective. If you if you see, you know, strategically a direction that you think the company should be going, a role that you would like to play, mm-hmm. you know, start having those conversations. When I when we run our lab studies, people are typically talking for about, you know, 20 minutes in a, in a conversation with one other person. But mm-hmm. when I talk to executives about their career negotiations, they tend to go on for weeks, if not months, sometimes years. Mm-hmm. And when they ask who they negotiated with, it's multiple people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the career negotiation is really about an ongoing conversation with your supporters 
and your superiors about the direction that where you want to head and looking for those win-win opportunities. Well, Hannah Riley Bowles, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Oh, thank you for having me. You've been listening to HKS PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. Hear more interviews at hks.harvard.edu slash policycast. And join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag policycast. Thank you.